Good morning, everyone. I want to wish you a happy Memorial Day. And even as I say that, I'm kind of, I have mixed emotions about that day, as some of you probably do with me, because it's commemorating those who have passed away, maybe those who have served in our military. And I want to give acknowledgement to those who have served and some of them in our congregation here today and say thank you for your service to our country. It's a good thing, and we're very appreciative of you, so. For some of you maybe that are younger, it just means a day off school. So it's a good thing. It's a holiday, so God bless you on this Memorial Day weekend, and as you're with family and friends, I know a lot of people are out of town traveling, camping. I, gave, I was telling somebody at church this morning, I said, I. Early on, when Patty and I were first married, we used to try to get out of town and camp on Memorial Day weekend. Guess what? We went on a one or two of those, and each time we did it, a storm came in. And we found ourselves one time up in the uh, San Juan Islands. We were on Orcas Island. We biked in, went on the ferry with our bikes, with all of our stuff, tents, sleeping bags. We hard, hardcore camping. The day that we jumped on the ferry, it was just like this. We were basking in the glory of sunshine and God's beauty and creation. Overnight, as happens up in the Puget Sound, a storm came in and literally in the middle of the night, I remember waking up and there was a river going through our tent. There was a problem. And so literally we were up early trying to dry off and it was still raining in buckets. And so we literally paid this guy in the campsite $20 cash, that's all we had on us, Patty and I and another couple, just to, we could, so we could throw our bikes in the back of his pickup and get us back to the ferry dock, and just to get out of there and get home and get dry. So Memorial Day is, now it's about staying at home and getting things done around the house. That's <laughs> staying dry, that sort of thing. You know, sometimes chapter and verse divisions don't do us any favors. Today we're gonna to be in Romans 15, and I, the reason I bring that up is because I want you to know that chapters and verses are not inspired. Sometimes people think they are, they're not, they were added later. In fact, if you're interested, chapter divisions were added in 1227 by a guy named Stephen Langton. He was the Archbishop of Canterbury at the time. He gave us chapters in the New Testament. Chapters in the Old Testament were added about 200 years later by a Jewish rabbi. So chapters were added first, and then later, about 300 years later, we got our verse um, divisions laid out by a guy named Robert Stephanus. He was simply a printer. As he was printing Bibles, he decided that we need verses to help us. And so he added verses, not based upon textual considerations, and he wasn't real careful even sometimes, he just they're just there to kind of mark our way. Now, they're helpful. For example, if I were to say John 3.16, we all know what that is because of chapter and verse divisions, and that's a good thing. And it helps us navigate the Word of God, which is a pretty extensive book. But sometimes chapter divisions, for sure, get in the way of catching the overall context of what is being taught. That's why when we talk about epistles like Romans, I like to teach them as a whole because as you go through them, you get the whole idea of what Paul is talking about, not just a select chapter, verse here and there. Um, so 
just know that to be true. We're, as we start in chapter 15, it's a continuation of what we talked about last week. We learned last week that the strong and the weak, we talked about that. People who are strong in their faith, that are convinced in a certain area, versus those that are maybe not as convinced. Maybe they're a young believer and they're not, they don't understand fully maybe what freedom is. Or maybe I have, Christ, I have freedom in an area and another person doesn't, strong and weak. And we talked about that a little bit and the obligations between the two. One obligation is not to treat with contempt those who are weak in their faith. Uh, 14 verse 3 talks about that. We're to accept them. Verse 1 of chapter 14. Accept those who are weak in their faith. Paul's speaking from the stronger brother position there. So we're to accept those. Not to treat them with contempt. Not to look down our nose and go, what's wrong with you? Of course it's okay to do that. Or what's wrong with you? Don't you understand that doctrine? We're not to do that with each other. And then in the same verse, verse three there, it talks about the weak or not to judge the strong. They're not to point their finger and go, hey, you shouldn't be doing that. You know, what's wrong with you? So it, it shouldn't go back and forth like that. The second thing, we're not to cause a weaker brother to stumble, verse 13. When we relate to each other, it's about love. I don't wanna put things in my brother's path that cause them to stumble because I care for them. I love my brother. We need to keep in mind three things. God is our master. He's the one we answer to. He's, Christ is our Lord. Everything we do is for him as our Lord. And God is judge. It talked about that in chapter 14. I'm not your judge. I'm not qualified to be your judge. And trust me, I've got enough of my own issues. I don't need to be judging you. God is our judge. We'll stand before the judgment seat of Christ. It talks about that in 2 Corinthians to give an account of our lives for the purpose of reward. But I'm not about judging you and you're not to be judging me because God is doing that. Then there was the quote by St. Augustine that I gave last week, if you remember, I had an overhead of that one. Remember St. Augustine, he read chapter 13 of Romans and that last verse, it says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ, make no provision for the flesh, don't live according to the flesh. Get rid of that junk and put on the Lord Jesus Christ and his righteousness. And it says St. Augustine was moved by the Holy Spirit and he received Jesus Christ as his Savior. And I think he just continued on into chapter 14 and he gave us a great quote that I believe summarizes chapter 14 beautifully. I gave it last week. Maybe you can help me out with it. Here it is. In essentials, what do we want? Unity. The core things deity of Jesus Christ, the cross, and the need for Jesus to save us from our sins, the authority of Scripture. In the essentials, we're going to be unified on these things. We're, we agree. In non-essentials, what do we have? Liberty. We have freedom in Christ. On the things that aren't spelled out specifically for us, and maybe there's some disagreement. In areas of Christian freedom, there's wonderful freedom that we have in Jesus Christ to exercise those things. But in all things, charity or love, right? Love is to be that umbrella that everything is considered under. We are to treat each other with love and charity. So in verses 1 and 2, we're going to talk about the obligation of the believer. 
to each other. And again, this is a continuation of what we had talked about in chapter 14, the strong and the weak. Here it is. We who are strong, continuing on from last chapter, ought to bear with the failings of the weak, not to please ourselves. Each of us should please our neighbors for their good to build them up. Here's our obligation, a third obligation in the the line of stronger and weaker is to bear one another's burdens, to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves, he says in verse one. We just finished downstairs the class on Galatians and chapter six, and we just read this literally about 20 minutes ago, so I'll read it again. Galatians six, verses one to two, it ties in beautifully. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. And then verse 2, carry each other's burdens. And in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. Bear, carry each other's burdens. What are these burdens, these failings that Paul's talking about? It can be any number of things. It can be legalism. Maybe that person's caught in this idea that I have to do this list of things to please God, and they're caught in that. Help them out. Come into their lives. Speak truth to them. Maybe it's a lack of understanding of Christian liberties or a particular doctrine. Maybe they just need to grow in their understanding a little bit. Maybe it's a sin, an addiction. You who are caught, verse 1, in a sin. The picture there is like a hook that's got itself into the skin, and it's caught. Sometimes sin does that in our lives. Addictive sin is that way. It's there, and you want to get rid of it, and you just struggle. You need help. Bear one another's burdens. This idea of bearing is not just putting up with somebody. We we should do that too. Just kind of, okay, whatever, you know, I just got to put up with this person because I'm, they're a Christian brother and sister and I need to love them. It goes beyond that. It's literally taking their load upon yourself and carrying it, helping them with that load. When I was growing up in my church out at Dilly, um, one of my f- favorite things that we would do is, as a church and specifically in the youth group, we'd go on backpacks. How many of you like to backpack? Have any packers in here? A few? Yeah, it's hard work, as I've learned. As I got older, it's, it's less and less fun. But used to enjoy it. So I was born up in Washington State, up on the Hood Canal area of Washington. And so the church where my dad was the pastor was right at the base of the Olympic Mountains up in Washington State. Beautiful area of Washington. We used to backpack there. So one summer, my uncle, who had a church down in Northern California, brought his youth group up to join our youth group from my dad's church to do this backpack together. Now, the thing that was really cool about my uncle's youth group was most of them were girls. <laughs> Love that. Most of my youth group were guys, my friends, you know, my buddies. So here you have a group of guys, mostly from my church, and then this group of cute girls from California. This is all fine and wonderful and great. However, as we're backpacking, we get to a specific part of the trail where it's about a half mile stretch that's kind of just straight up. 
and you get up to the point where it's at an elevation, a summit. So it was a pretty extensive hike, and I'll never forget this moment where my dad and my uncle kind of had this little conference, and they came up with this brilliant idea. The guys are going to carry their packs up to the top of the hill, take them off, put them down, come back down the hill, put the pack of the girls on their back, carry them to the top of the hill. Great idea? If you're the girls, it's a great idea. So literally, this idea, we're bearing the burden. I wasn't real excited about that, by the way, at the time. I felt like it was kind of a raw deal. But here's the deal. Paul says also in Galatians 6, 5, we just spoke of this, is each one of us must carry his own burden. We didn't carry their backpack all the way to the lake, but there was a period of time where they needed some help, and we provided the help by bearing that burden for them. So that's what we're encouraged to do. There's periods of times in our life where we simply cannot carry whatever's going on. Maybe it's an illness, physical. Maybe it's a spiritual thing. Maybe I'm just not in the frame of mind to do much of anything right now. I just need some help from my brothers and sisters. Bear one another's burdens. 1 Peter 2.24 reminds us of why. It says, He, Jesus, He Himself bore our sins. He, He was our bearer. He bore our sins in His body on the cross so that we might die to sins, live for righteousness. By His wounds you have been healed. He's our sin bearer. He bore with our failings and our weaknesses, and we're to do the same for each other. This was countercultural. In the Roman culture, it was typical the weak should submit to the strong. That was just the way the Roman culture worked. And so when Paul was talking about this, this was opposite of the way that they would have thought in their culture. And I think in our culture, it's kind of countercultural also, is it not? It's survival of the fittest, if you want to call it that. You know, the strong are going to survive, and who cares about the weak? Me first. It's all about me and my rights. And I think it goes countercultural here in our culture to bear one another's burdens. But we're to do it because Christ has instructed us to through Paul. It says, don't please yourself. It's not about pleasing yourself, putting others first. Then in verse 2, we're to please our neighbors. Each one of us should please our neighbors for their good to build them up. So he's been talking about brothers, one another my brother and sister in Christ, now he broadens it to my neighbor. It's anyone, just like he did in chapter 12. Yes, I'm to care for my brothers and sisters in Christ, those who are Christians, but this goes beyond that. Anybody who I see has a need, I am to step into their life. We should please our neighbor. Now, it doesn't mean by pleasing our neighbor, he's not talking about people pleasing, because that's a trap, okay? And we all know Paul was not that. He spoke about that very often. It's not about pleasing people. It's about putting their needs first. It's about seeing things that they need and stepping into their life. He says we do this for their good. It's for their benefit. It's for their spiritual benefit. It's for their salvation. That's what their good is all about. Ephesians 6.10 tells us to do good to all people, especially those who belong to God's family. So, We're doing this for their good, but we're building them up. It's edification. It's I'm helping them out. I'm reaching out to my neighbor for the purpose of building them up and helping them along in their growth. 
As we move into verse 3 through 13, there's some things to consider in this passage. Number one is we're kind of coming to the end of Paul's book. Obviously, there's only one more chapter, but for the most part, through verse 13 is kind of the end of his teaching in the book of Romans. Next week, we're going to be in chapter 16 where he talks about people, people who have played a part in his life, and he's giving thanks to them. That's next week, but he's kind of wrapping up his teaching right here. This is the, the finale. This is the conclusion. There's going to be, you're going to see a strong emphasis of the Old Testament. We've seen that all the way through. Paul keeps referring back into the Old Testament, wanting them to go back and study, know their scriptures. We're going to see five Old Testament quotes in this, these next verses. We're going to see this relationship between the Jew and the Gentile and this idea that both Jew and Gentile are, are created, are brought together to praise God. That's God's purpose. He's been talking about that through the, this whole book, and he's just going to continue that on in verses 8 to 13. And then finally, this emphasis on hope. Paul is going to begin this section in verse 4 with this idea of hope. It's a certainty that we have based on the promises of God. It's not wishful thinking. That's, anyone can do that. As Christians, hope is about knowing for sure because God said it's going to be, and I put my hope in that. It's a certain expectation. It's a confidence. It's not a, oh, man. I sure hope this is true or else I'm in a lot of trouble. It's, that's not Christian hope. That's just, like I said, wishful thinking. So it's going to begin and it's going to end with this idea of hope. And that's where Paul wants to leave the people. So let's read verses 3 to 6. The one who, oh, excuse me, I jumped back to 14. For even Christ, he's going to talk about the example of Jesus here. Even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. May the God who gives endurance, encouragement, give you the same attitude of mind towards each other so that Christ Jesus, that Jesus Christ had, so that with one mind, one voice, you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. There's kind of a benediction there, first of two benedictions in this section that Paul gives there in verses 5 and 6. So it starts out with Christ's example. It says, even Christ did not please himself. Christ bore the burdens. Christ sought to please his neighbor. That's the way Christ lived. We're just simply following his example. And then he quotes Psalm 69.9, and he kind of takes it, moves it from David speaking David and God to Jesus, the Son of God and God. Those who heaped insults upon you, he speaks of that, have insulted me. They've fallen on me. And he, and he moves that to a reference to Jesus Christ, taking our sins to the cross. We're going to see that this is what Jesus did for us. There's a passage in Philippians 2. We call it the kenosis passage. That's a fancy term that simply means laying aside or emptying. Let me read this. This is Philippians 2, 5 to 8. It's up on the board, too. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. And the next slide. Rather, he made himself nothing 
by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. This is the attitude, the mindset of Jesus Christ. He was God. He didn't lay aside his deity, but he laid aside the benefits that he had in heaven to come down and be with us. He laid aside the comfort, the joy of being with the Father up in heaven, and he came and he took on human flesh to be with us. That's the mindset of Jesus Christ. We call it the kenosis. He gave up for you and me. He bore our sins. He sought our value. In verses four through six, there's two sources of power that we have in our lives. The first one is scripture. God's word is so powerful. Look, look what it says in verse four. He says, everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through endurance taught through the scriptures and encouragement they provide, we might have hope. Three things I want you to see from this verse. Number one, the comprehensive value of scripture. It says everything that was written. Not just the gospels or the book of Romans, but I'm talking Genesis through Revelation. Every piece of scripture, everything that God says in his word is for, is, has value, it's comprehensive. 2 Timothy 3, 16, 17 says all scripture, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for us. It's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for the purpose of thoroughly equipping us for every good work. So it's comprehensive, it's contemporary. It has contemporary relevance. Paul says here that it's written to teach us. That stuff about David, that stuff about all the kings, that stuff about Adam and Eve, that stuff about Esther, all those amazing stories, guess what? Those are there to teach you and me. There is contemporary relevance. It's timeless. That's the word of God. That's the power of it. And then finally, it's, there's this practical application. And Paul gives us a mathematical equation. He says, endurance plus encouragement equals hope. Endurance, encouragement equals hope. Okay, where does that come from? He's speaking of the word of God there. And he says those stories of how people endured by faith and trusted God, that's written for you to teach you about, hey, we need to endure. And we're the encouragement that we receive when we read those stories and hear of how God was with them faithfully. That's what gives you and me hope. It's through the word of God. It's contemporary, it's comprehensive, it's applicable to me today for the purpose of giving me that hope that I desperately need. And then in verses five and six, it's prayer. This is Paul's prayer for the people of Romans. And he says in verses five and six, he says, may the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had so that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Scripture is God speaking to us. Prayer is us speaking back to God and aligning ourselves with Him. And it's really the perfect combination, the two together. Prayer and Scripture always work together. They're the source of our power. And what Paul says in verse five is he wants people to understand, look, you can read about hope 
in the scripture and you can learn and through the endurance and all that but in reality it's God who gives you that hope God is the source so you need to go to God in prayer and that's what he wants them to understand he says I want you to have the same attitude of mind now as Christians sometimes we think we all have to agree and we get kind of this group think thing going on where we all have to agree on everything and that's what it's talking about here and I want you to understand that's not the case here. The same attitude of mind. The literal translation, mind the same thing among one another. Have this attitude that Christ had. As we look to Christ and pray that we can have the mind of Christ, then that draws us together. It's not that we're agreeing on everything, it's that we're following the same person and we're all of the same mind. And Paul says, so that with one mind and one voice, you can proclaim the praises of God. That's such a beautiful sentence. I think of a choir. There, a piece of music is put before them. There's a person leading the choir, a director. They're all following. However, they're all different. They have different parts, different quality of voices, different abilities within the choir, but they're all following the same direction. And so it comes across as just this beautiful song of praise to God. And it's that idea as we're following Him, we have one mind and we have one voice. We're speaking the same thing. And we're all praising God together in this beautiful choir together. I didn't know this, but I learned this. I was watching OPB. I do that once in a while, educational type programming on TV. And they made this comment, and it never dawned on me before, but they said the word universe is made up of two parts. Okay, it's two syllables, duh. The first one is una, unity. There's great unity in this, and now they give credit to, it just kind of happened by chance, right? But when, I'm, when I heard that, I'm like, yes, there's great unity because there's one person who created it. There's unity. The planets all work together. The sun, the seasons. There's this incredible unity in our universe. But guess what? There's a second part, verse, V-E-R-S-E. There's diversity. There's incredible diversity in creation. Is there not? Look around. I mean, even amongst animals, plants, people. So there's great unity and there's great diversity. And I just said, amen, there's a God who created it all, there's one person creating this, but yet he's a creator with incredible diversity that he allows and created into what we see. Now, I give him the credit. I don't, not time and chance, God. And what a beautiful reminder that is, that we're all unified as believers, but there's incredible diversity amongst us, but it comes together in this beautiful thing. We're like, the universe, in a sense. God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Previously, in the Old Testament, it was, it was God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and it was the covenant God. But Paul is, is changing that a little bit to what's going on now after the cross. It's the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's bringing together these people. So now we move into the next section, verses 7 to 13, the hope the hope of Christ. Here's what it says. Accept one another then just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. 
For I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth, so that the promises made to the patriarchs might be confirmed, and moreover, that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercies. And then he's going to go consecutively four straight Old Testament passages. Here they are. As it is written, this is 2 Samuel and I think it's Psalms. 2 Samuel, Psalms, David is writing this. It's found in two places in Scripture. Therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles. I will sing the praises of your name. Again, okay, second reference. Again, it says, rejoice you Gentiles with his people. And again, the third one. Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Let all the peoples extol him. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will spring up, one who will rise to rule over the nations. In him, the Gentiles will have hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy, peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. So we see in verse 7 and verse 8, we're moving from the theme of one another, the weak and the strong, to Jew-Gentile. So there's kind of this transition that's going on. Therefore, in verse 7, he says, accept one another. He's bringing to an end that whole concept of we're to accept. Any friend of Christ is a friend of mine. Did you catch that? Any son and daughter of Jesus is a is a brother and sister of mine. And that's what it means to accept. Understand, they're in my family. We're in this together. Christ has accepted them, so I need to do the same. But now he shifts the focus over to the Jew and the Gentile, and it speaks of, in verse 8, that Christ was the servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth. When Jesus came to earth, I think it's important to point this out, his initial focus was to the Jews. Um, Romans 1.16, and Paul had pointed this out earlier in the book, Romans 1.16, it's on the little chalkboard out right around the corner around the fireside room, but it says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, everyone. But then he says, and he's been talking about this, first to the Jew, then to the Gentiles, to the Greek, to those outside of the Jewish community. So I think it's important to point out that's the flow of Scripture, the story, Old Testament as we move into the New, that it was promises made to Abraham and the covenant. We move into the New Testament. Jesus Christ came as a Jew, the Messiah, the promised one, took our sins to the cross for the purpose of bringing all people to himself. Now, I think it's important, Jesus even said, Matthew 15, 24, he said, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. My, my purpose in coming here was the people of Israel. However, there were times where he spoke with Gentiles. There were times where he did miracles to those outside. But that was his primary focus. John the Baptist spoke to his people, Israel, concerning the Messiah. He's the one to come. When Jesus sent out the disciples in Matthew 10, he said, don't go to the Gentiles. We're in Israel, focus on them right now. And really the story of the Gospels up through chapter seven of Acts is the Jewish people. That's the main focus. In chapter eight, Philip goes to the Samaritans, starting to move out 
from Jerusalem, the gospel. And chapter 9, Paul, the conversion of Paul and his taking of the gospel to the ends of the earth. So that's kind of the flow. Jesus fulfilled the promise made to the patriarchs. In Genesis 2, Genesis 12, excuse me, 1 through 2, the Lord said to Abraham, go from your country, your people, your father's household to land I will show you. I will make you a great nation. That's Israel right there. I will bless you. I will make your name great. You will be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you. and Whoever curses you, I will curse. And then it says, all people on earth will be blessed through you. There's a promise there of universal blessing. Not just the people of Abraham and his people, the seed of Abraham, the nation of Israel, but all the people on the earth will be blessed through you. Jesus fulfilled that promise made to the patriarchs, made to Abraham there. And it's based on this covenant, this promise. But look what it says in verse 9, the second half of verse 9 here. It says, the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. God reached out to the Gentiles simply based on his mercy. That's why he reached out to them. So we have this Old Testament testimony regarding the Gentile and these four Old Testament passages, one right after another. And what Paul does, I find it interesting here, he selects a verse from every section of the Hebrew Old Testament. There's a verse there from 2 Samuel. So we have the books of history in the Old Testament. There's a verse there from Deuteronomy. So we have the law, the first five books of Moses, the Pentateuch. There's verses there from Psalms. We have the writings, the Hebrew section of Scripture known as the writings, Psalms, Proverbs, etc. And then we have Isaiah, those Old Testament, that last section of the prophets. So what Paul wants them to see, and I think he did this on purpose, is he drew from each of the four sections. And he says, look what God planned from the very beginning. This wasn't a change of plan as the Israelites screwed it up and rejected Christ. This was the plan from the very beginning that through the Jewish people, all people would come to honor and glorify Jesus Christ and be part of God's family. So that's part of the progression that he gives. God's purpose was to save both Jew and Gentile. The Gentiles needed to understand, I think when Paul was saying this, they needed to understand that it was through the Jews that Jesus came in fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenant in the Old Testament. So they needed to understand and appreciate their Jewish brothers, that they played an, obviously an important role in bringing the Messiah to this earth. But I think the Jews, is, Jews needed to understand that the invitation of the Gentiles into the, God's family was part of the Abrahamic covenant. It was part of God's plan from the very beginning all the way up through. So I think both sides needed to understand that to really begin to accept each other. And in the book of Romans and in this time period, that was not an easy thing. You have to understand there were Jews who came from that background. There were Gentiles that came from theirs. And that was not an easy match early on. It took time and God's grace to kind of work through some of those things. Look at verse 13. This is Paul's final benediction really in the book of Romans. He's bringing to an end his teaching in this great book. The second half of chapter 15, by the way, is Paul talks about his plan to come to Rome. He says, I want 
to come and meet you, and I want to bring a gift to you, a financial gift that I've collected from your Gentile brothers. I'm gonna, I want to bring it to you who are in Rome and help you out. The people in Rome were going through some very tough times, financial times, difficult times, and the Christian brothers in the Gentile believers that Paul was working with had taken a collection of money. Paul was, wanted to bring that here to Rome, and he mentions his desire to go all the way to Spain. Isn't that an amazing thing? History, we don't know for sure if Paul made it all the way to Spain. A lot of Bible scholars believe he did. And when I was in Spain about four years ago, Patty and I traveled for a few days in Spain. We went to this one, all over Spain, but in this one city specifically, there was amazing evidence of the Roman culture. Aqueducts, Colosseums, a place where they held chariot races. In fact, the one place where the epidrome or whatever, where the chariot races were held was built by Augustus Caesar, B.C., and it's still there today, the kind of the, the ruins of it, and I was thinking, that's amazing, and we were walking through this one town, and there was the temple to Diana. Does that sound familiar? The book of Ephesus speaks of Diana and this temple, this, this goddess that they worshiped. Well, they carried it all the way with them, and they built this structure, the temple to Diana in this Spanish city and it, the ruins are still there in the middle of town you can walk through the, through it and look at it but the roman culture made it all the way to the ocean the atlantic ocean and paul's desire was to go there with them and we don't know if he made it but that was his heart so his final benediction really his final piece of teaching is in verse 13 look at this may the god of hope fill you with joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. A couple things to point out there. Number one is he's invoking God's blessings. He mentions hope, he mentions joy, he mentions peace. Back in chapter 14, verse 17, it mentions righteousness and joy and peace in the Holy Spirit. Those are the benefits that we have in Jesus Christ and he wishes that and he prays that for the people of Rome. God gives us hope in himself so we can enjoy these blessings. And this picture of overflowing with hope. I mentioned it in a past sermon in relationship, I can't remember what the relationship with, but all of our lives were filled up with something. Scripture speaks of being filled with the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? It means that my life is so controlled by the Holy Spirit that when situations happen in my life, I can't help but respond according to the Spirit. Um, think of it in terms of anger. I've used this illustration before as a cup, right? You've heard me do this one. If you fill that cup all the way to the very brim of, with anger in your life, and you're walking around with a cup filled to the brim with anger, and somebody just kind of does that, what happens? You get the overflow, okay? Overflow of what? Anger, the mess, it all comes out, right? And we see that in our world today. People are filled to the brim with anger. And when something happens, it doesn't even take much. They overflow with anger. Paul says, I want you to overflow with hope so that your life is so filled with an understanding of the promises of God and a certainty 
on what he says, that no matter what happens, bumps and bruises in your life, people nudge you, somebody comes up and gives you a good shoulder, you're gonna not overflow with anger, but you're gonna overflow with hope. It's gonna be a part of your life. And then finally, the power of the Holy Spirit. If there's anything that we need to know as Christians, we need to live by the power of the Holy Spirit. Paul's been talking about that all the way through. Chapter eight, chapter 12, it's only by the power of the Holy Spirit that we can walk and live this life. So in conclusion, turn back to Romans 11:36. There have been three great benedictions in the book of Romans, probably more, but these are the ones that stand out of my mind. The first one came at the end of chapter eight where we, we talked about if God is for us, who can be against us? You're more than conquerors through him who loved you. And then finally, nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. And there's this great benediction that ends chapter eight. And I said back then, I wish we could just end there because it's a great place to be. Stay in Romans eight, it's a good place, but we move on. So. Then Paul goes into 9, 10, and 11 where he talks about what is going on with the Jews? What is going on with his people, the Israelite people now, after Christ, after the cross? What is God's plan for them and the sovereignty of God? And that's a very difficult scripture. And there's a benediction at the end of chapter 11 that kind of brings to a close that great section. And I'd like to read that to you. Maybe you remember this. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments, his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay him? For from him, through him, and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. And it's almost like you could end there, but we didn't. We went on to chapter 12, right? That great section of how do you live this faith out, okay? Living sacrifices. So it's just a beautiful, but Romans 11:36 to me kind of captures all of Romans. All good things come from God as their source. Every good thing, James 1:17. every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation. He doesn't change. He doesn't, it's like shifting shadows. It's, but everything is from Him. All good things come from God as their source. All good things take place through God as their means. Romans eight twenty eight, For God is at work, causing all things to work together for good to those who love Him, to those who are called according to His purpose. All good things take place through God. He's at work in our lives, even the things that are messy and hurtful and hard and we don't understand. God's at work, okay? All good things are unto God for His glory and His praise. They come from God, everything goes through God, and it goes right back to God in glory and praise and worship to Him. So as we end this section of Romans and really kind of bringing this book to a conclusion, remember this, everything comes from God, including our justification. It's His work, it's His act of declaring us righteous. 
All we need to do is simply believe and trust and act on what he's already done. He justifies us. He gives us peace. He's the source of that peace in our life and that hope that we have. And then understand he's at work. Everything that's going on in my life is happening through him. And I can trust him and know he's in control of it all. And then what he wants and what this chapter's been talking about is that Jews, Gentiles, people of all nations would honor and praise and give glory to God. Why are we here? Well, number one, to do that, to give honor, glory, and praise to God. So may we be of one mind and one voice here at Clackamas Bible Church and give our honor and worship to God this morning. Amen.